Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 through 35. No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what will you eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you of you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The words of the Lord. We live in a sick, broken, evil world, do we not? Does the gospel have anything to say to that? Does the gospel have anything to say to our black and brown sisters and brothers who are hurting and exhausted and furious this morning? Does the gospel have anything to say to a society that continues to devalue black and brown lives? And does the gospel have anything to say to the millions of people, especially young people, who see the hypocrisy and the worldliness of the church and are so sickened by it that they want nothing to do with it? And does the gospel have anything to say to a world that is desperate for healing and renewal, but no matter how hard we try with our science, our politics, our technology, this world is still so full of evil and injustice and violence and oppression? Does the gospel have anything to say to any of that? Because no matter how hopeless things feel, we still have this deep longing, this deep impulse within ourselves that we want to change this world we want to shape this world into a different place, a better place. Does the gospel have anything to say to any of that? This passage we just read has a lot to say about that, but it's not immediately apparent to us. 
In fact, a lot of people have criticized what Jesus says in this passage because they feel like he's telling poor, oppressed, marginalized people not to care about their poverty or oppression, but simply to focus on God and, hey, don't worry about all that other stuff. Is that what Jesus is saying? It's an important question. In fact, it's so important that we're actually going to spend the next couple of weeks looking at this passage we just read because Jesus has so much to tell us here. So we're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of the longest and most famous teachings of Jesus in the Bible. It's all about living a radically transformed life. And especially, it's about becoming a radically transformed people that bring transformation to the world around us. And our world is in desperate need of transformation. But here's the problem. If we just go out into the world and try to transform the world without being transformed, then we're just going to end up shaping the world in our own image. And I don't know about you, but the last thing this world needs is to be shaped in my image. So... What do we do? How does that happen? Because this world is in desperate need of transformation. We want to change the world, but in order to change the world, we need to be changed. How does that happen? Well, this passage shows us. So this week, we're going to look at how we get changed. Next week, we're going to look at how the world gets changed. Okay, so let's dig in. First, how do we get changed? Jesus is showing us three big claims here in this passage. He's making three claims. He's making a design claim, a warning claim, and a story claim. And we'll look at what each one of those means. There's a design claim, a warning claim, and a story claim. Okay, first, Jesus is making a design claim here. He's actually, he's laying out his anthropology in this passage. Anthropology answers the question, what kind of beings are human beings? What's their design? So if you were with us last week, Jesus was talking about money. And at the end of that passage, he says, you cannot serve God and money. Jesus is saying, as human beings, we're designed to serve God. Now that word serve makes it sound a little harsh, like God is some kind of taskmaster. But if you notice the language Jesus uses right before this, he says, no one can serve two masters, or literally lords, For either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus is saying, you're going to serve something. Something is going to be your Lord, but whatever it is, the reason you're going to serve it is because you love it. It's because you're devoted to it. So in other words, if you were to ask him, Jesus, what's your anthropology? What kind of beings are human beings? Jesus would say human beings are primarily lovers, that that you are what you love. Now, that is a very different view of humanity than other views that are in our world. For instance, over the last few hundred years, one of the primary views on what human beings are is this view that says human beings are primarily thinkers. You are what you think. For instance, the Latin phrase homo sapiens, you know, that word sapiens means wise or smart. Human beings are thinkers. Maybe the poster child for this view would be the famous philosopher René Descartes. He very famously said, I think, therefore I am. This is a view of humanity that says human beings are primarily thinkers. Now, over the last 50 to 60 years or so, there's been another view that has become even more influential than this. This view says there's no such thing as an essential human nature, and therefore you must decide who you are. 
It's all about your free choice to determine who you are for yourself. No one else can tell you that. It would be um, very difficult to find one poster child for this view because it just saturates our culture. But one of my personal favorites is Poe, the character Poe from Kung Fu Panda. In the second movie, he's very defeated. He's feeling very conflicted about his identity and his worth. But then a wise old goat named Soothsayer comes and says to him, Poe, your story may not have a happy beginning, but that doesn't make you who you are. It's the rest of your story who you choose to become. It's who you choose to become. That is one of the most powerful ideas in our culture. It's a view of humanity that says you are what you choose. Now here's the thing. Jesus doesn't deny our capacity to think or to choose, but those things are brought together in the service of something even more powerful than either of those things. It's capacity to love. And maybe one of the best ways to see this is by looking at a verse from last week's passage. It's one of the most profound statements ever uttered on what it is to be a human being. Jesus said um, in that passage that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, we talk about this a lot here at Central West End Church. In the Bible, the heart means a lot more than just your emotions or your feelings. Uh, One of my... um, favorite ways of explaining it is this. You know how you can bundle together your cable TV, your internet, your mobile phone, and even your landline if you still use one of those? All of those things get put together in one bill. It's called a bundle. In the Bible, the heart is a bundle that brings together your mind and your intellect, your desires and your emotions, your will and your choices, all of that gets bundled together in one place the Bible calls the heart. It's, it's like the control center of your life. And Jesus is saying that, that all of that gets focused on one thing and that you treasure it above all else. You, you, you're focused on it. So it's kind of like if you've ever been on top of a skyscraper, you know a lot of them have those viewfinders up there and you'll pop a couple of quarters in there and then you can look at something that's really far away. The thing about those viewfinders is the lenses are so powerful and so focused that you can really only focus on one thing at a time. You can really only look at one thing, but it's an incredible detail. You're focused right in on it. That's what our hearts are like doesn't mean that we can't love other things, but one thing is going to reign supreme. One thing we will treasure above all else. So if you go back to our passage, Jesus says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I mean, think about that. Food and clothing are pretty important, aren't they? We'll die without food. Here in St. Louis, you could freeze without clothing. Jesus is saying that that there's something more than food, more than clothing. It's not that those things aren't important or that we shouldn't love them, but there's something more than these things. What is it? What does that mean? One of the people that's probably most helpful for us in thinking about this is an African theologian who was named St. Augustine. St. Augustine said that the human heart that has room for lots of different loves and different kinds of loves So for instance, there's what we could call superficial loves. Superficial loves are things like, I love ice cream. I love video gaming. I love this TV show. There's room in your heart for thousands of superficial loves. But then there are what we could call significant loves. And there's only room in our heart for maybe a handful of significant loves. 
Those would be things like your family or your career or maybe some cause that you're passionate about. They're the kinds of things that you might put on your Instagram or Twitter profile. You know, here are the three things that define me. So you've got superficial loves, you've got significant loves, but then Augustine says there's one more kind of love, it's your ultimate love. And friends, there's only room in our heart for one ultimate love. Your ultimate love is, is that one thing that you love more than anything else. It's, it's, your, it's your more than, your ultimate more than. There's nothing you love more than that. Jesus is saying that human beings are the kinds of beings in which everything we are, our mind and our thoughts, our desires and our emotions, our will and our choices, where all of that is bundled together in one place and brought entirely into the service of one all-controlling, all-consuming, ultimate love. And if we don't understand that, then we will never understand ourselves and we will never become the people we're meant to be. Why? Well, that leads to our next point. Uh, we've just seen that Jesus makes a design claim, but secondly, he's offering us a warning claim. What is that warning? Well, if we go back to verse 25, Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. He's saying that if, if there's nothing you love more than uh, food or drink or clothing, nothing you love more than comfort or security or social status or things like that, then what's the result going to be in your life? Anxiety. He, there's going to be breakdown in your life. There will be harmful, pernicious effects in your life. In fact, if you look a little later, Jesus goes on to say that the Gentiles, that's non-Jewish people, that they seek after all these things. Now that word seek is, um, in the original language, is, is an intensified form of the normal word for seek. You could almost translate this um, overseek or obsess. He's saying that Gentiles obsess over all these things. So, for instance, um, you know, when you think about that, you realize that, that we all have things like that in our lives. Jesus is saying they, they obsess over these things. Jesus is warning us that if you make anything in this world other than God your ultimate love, then the result in your life is going to be anxiety, obsession, breakdown, distortion. Why? Well, there's a huge clue in verse 33. Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Notice that Jesus says, seek first. In other words, it's not that loving career or family is wrong. It's not that loving material security or social significance is wrong. And it's not that loving, for instance, a political movement or a social cause is wrong. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. The problem is not what we love, what is it? Well, again, our friend St. Augustine helps us to understand this. He says that the problem is not what we love. The problem is when our loves get out of order. So, for instance, there's nothing wrong with loving video gaming. But if you love video gaming more than you love taking care of your health, then there's going to be distortions in your life because those loves are out of order. And again, there's nothing wrong with loving your career, but if you love your career more than you love your kids, there will be distortions in your life because those loves are out of order. Do you see how this works? Jesus is saying there's nothing wrong with loving the good things of this world. You know, traditional religion says that it's all about giving things up for God. 
Unfortunately, a lot of people think that's what Christianity is too, that if you give up things for God, if you renounce the material pleasures of this world, then God will reward you by taking you to heaven when you die. That is a very traditional religious uh, view, but it's not the gospel. The Bible says that God created this world. And in Genesis 1, over and over and over again, he keeps saying, this is good, this is good, this is good. There's nothing wrong with loving the things of this world. But if we love anything in this world, no matter how good it is, more than we love God, then our loves are out of order. And when that happens, not if, but when that happens, the simple result is this. Disordered loves lead to distorted lives. Disordered loves lead to distorted lives. So think about your own life. Are there places in your life where you're overly anxious? Whether about money or your career or your grades or your family or your romantic prospects or lack of romantic prospects? Or are there things in your life that that you obsess over, like politics or your self-image? Or are there compulsive behaviors or addictions in your life? Why is that? It's because our loves are out of order, and disordered loves lead to distorted lives. Friends, that's what Jesus is showing us here. Disordered loves lead to distorted lives. So we need to find help for that. We We need to find healing for that. How does that happen? Well, ask yourself this question. What is my ultimate love? And be careful how you answer that question. It's easy to think we know. We know what we would say our ultimate love is, but do we really know? Are we sure? You know, um, the the very first words out of Jesus' mouth in the Gospel of John was a question. He saw two people following him, and he turned around and said, what are you seeking? Um, Now, when Jesus asks a question in the Bible, it's helpful to be careful because Jesus is very rarely, if ever, asking because he needs the information. He already knows. Jesus is not asking for himself. He's asking for us. We need to know. He's inviting us to go deeper. When Jesus says, what are you seeking? He's saying, what is your ultimate love? Do you know? Are you sure? For instance, you remember Harry Potter's backstory? The evil Lord Voldemort murdered his parents when he was just a baby. So Harry Potter grows up as an orphan. He grows up with this huge hole in his heart. There's, the loss of his parents is like this gaping wound in his life. But one day, during his first year at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, uh, Harry Potter discovers a magical mirror called the Mirror of Erised. And when he looks in the mirror, to his amazement, he sees his parents with their arms wrapped around him, looking at him with love in their eyes. He's so blown away that he runs and finds his best friend, Ronald Weasley, and he says, Ron, you got to come take a look at this. So Ron comes, but Ron is coming with his own story. Ron is coming with his own wounds. You know, Ron still has his parents, but Ron has grown up constantly being overshadowed by his famous older brothers. So when Ron looks in the mirror of Erised, instead of seeing his parents, he says, hey, I'm head boy. I'm captain of the Quidditch team. And look, we won the championship cup. Why is it that Harry and Ron see different things when they look in the mirror of Erised? Because Erised, spelled backwards, is desire. This is a mirror that shows you the deepest desires of your heart. It shows you your ultimate love. 
What would you see if you looked into the mirror of Erised? Do you know? Are you sure? Friends, Jesus is asking us, what are you seeking? What is your ultimate love? Do you know? Are you sure? Friends, here's why this is so important for us. Jesus is showing us that life transformation is not simply a matter of getting better knowledge or of making freer choices. It's a matter of reordering and reshaping our ultimate loves. How does that happen? Well, that leads to our last point. We've seen the design claim that human beings are primarily lovers. We've seen the warning claim that disordered loves lead to distorted lives. But lastly, Jesus offers us a story claim. Because here's the big question. How do our ultimate loves get shaped and formed? The answer is this. Ultimate loves are formed by ultimate stories. Ultimate loves ultimately are formed by ultimate stories. And that's exactly what we see going on in this passage. Jesus is is saying, hey, what's the antidote to anxiety? What's the antidote to fearful obsession over material security or social significance or social status? What's the antidote to that? Jesus says, here's the antidote. Look at the birds of the air. He says, consider the lilies of the field. What's Jesus doing here? These words, look and consider, are words that mean more than just casual glancing. They're words that mean to look at something intently. It means to study something carefully. It means to devote your attention to something entirely. But what is it? Notice, it's not an intellectual proposition. Now, Jesus wants us to know, hey, God loves you. God cares about you. But, but he doesn't begin by saying, now remember, God loves you. God cares about you. He doesn't begin with an intellectual proposition. He begins by saying, look at the birds. Consider the lilies. He begins with an image. He begins with a story. Friends, Jesus is the master anthropologist. He knows how we're designed. He knows how we're shaped and formed as human beings. And it is not primarily through intellectual arguments. And by the way, we all know that's true. Have you ever tried to change somebody's mind about politics through an intellectual argument on social media? If so, you know how futile that is. Human beings are shaped primarily through stories that get into our hearts and capture our imaginations. Now, that doesn't mean that facts and reason and using your mind and things like that, that none of that matters. Of course it does. But even the most recent science is confirming this idea that human beings are shaped primarily by things that operate way below the level of our conscious decision-making that we are shaped primarily by stories that get into our hearts and capture our imagination. For instance, Christian Smith is a highly regarded sociologist. He wrote a book about human beings called Moral Believing Animals. And one of the main points he makes in that book is the power of stories to shape us as human beings. So he says this, that for all of our science, rationality, and technology, we modern people are no less the makers, tellers, and believers of narrative construals, which is a fancy word for stories, of existence, history, and purpose than than were our forebears at any other time in human history. But more than that, listen to what he says, we not only continue to be animals who make stories, but also animals who are made by our stories. We don't just make stories, 
We're made by our stories. That's what Jesus is showing us here. Ultimate loves are shaped by ultimate stories. Now, what are ultimate stories? Ultimate stories are stories that, that tell us something ultimate about the meaning of life and the, and the meaning of the world. They answer questions like, what kind of world is this? What kind of beings are human beings? What's wrong with the world? How can we fix it? Stories that answer those questions are ultimate stories, and our world is full of them. Stories like consumerism, or individualism, or scientific naturalism, or nationalism, or white supremacism, or many, many other stories that fill our world. And we're going to talk about one of the main ones next week, and it's not on this list. So if you want to know what it is, come back and we'll talk more about it next week. But here's the point. We, we not only make stories, we're made by our stories. Human beings are the kinds of beings in which our ultimate loves are shaped by ultimate stories. And those stories are constantly coming to us through things like cable news and social media and um, through things like um, movies and TV shows and, um, and songs and books that we read. We're constantly being shaped by these things. Friends, the point is simple. Disordered loves lead to distorted lives. So if we want to change our lives, we need to reshape our loves. And if we want to reshape our loves and reorder our loves, we need to pay attention to the stories that shape our lives. So let me just invite you this week to spend a little bit of time uh, reflecting on a few things. And the first one would be this. Ask yourself this question. What is my ultimate love? And be careful how you answer do you know what it is? Do you really know what it is? Is it God or is it something else? One of the helpful ways to find answers to that question is to look at, well, what do I get most anxious about in life? What do I tend to obsess over in life? Those are clues pointing you to at least some of the things that can compete in your heart for your ultimate love. Secondly, ask yourself, what stories are shaping me? What stories are, are shaping the ultimate loves in my heart? And if you want to know the answer to that question, just look at what do you spend most time on? What do you spend time consuming? What do you spend time giving your attention to? Looking at and considering. Instead of birds and lilies, it's what are you looking at and considering? What books, movies, TV shows, songs? What cable news shows? What social media? What, you know, is it Twitter? Is it Instagram? What are we feeding on? What's shaping us? Those are ultimate stories. They are shaping us whether we realize it or not. So first, ask yourself, what is my ultimate love? Second, ask yourself, what stories are shaping my life? But thirdly, spend time engaging the one true story that really can change your life and ultimately change this world. What story is that? Well, Jesus is pointing right at it in verse 33. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Now, you and I would look at that and we'd go, wait, what? The kingdom of God? What is that? And how is that a story? We're going to actually do a deep dive on this next week. But for this week, let me just say it like this. The kingdom of God is the storyline of the whole Bible. And particularly, it finds its ultimate conclusion and in, 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 um, in climax in the life, death, and physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So if you want to engage the one true story that will really change your life, when was the last time you spent time reading through one of the Gospels? It's one of the historical accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible. Have you ever done that? 
That's the one true story that can really change our life. And the amazing story, thing about that story is that this is a story that actually happened in time, in history, in this world, that the eternal Son of God entered into this world, the, the one through whom all the world was created, the one who looked at everything in this world and said, this is good. He actually entered into the brokenness and the evil of this world. He didn't run away from it. He didn't ignore it. He entered into it. Why would he do that? Because if you think about it, Jesus Christ sat on the throne of heaven from all eternity. All of the riches of heaven were his. All of the treasures of heaven were his. He had all of the ultimate more thans. They all belonged to him. And yet, there was one thing that he did not have in heaven that he was willing to leave all of that in order to come here and get it. What is it? To you. It's me. It's us. You are his more than. And on the cross, Jesus Christ gave his life to make you his more than so that you could make him your more than. And so that he could become your ultimate love and, and that he could transform you into a vessel of that same redeeming, transforming love to the world around you. Let that story get into your heart. Let it shape you. Let it restore you. That will change the world. Let's pray. Abba, we praise you this morning for being a God who doesn't just create this world and let it run amok, but for creating this world and being deeply invested in this world, even when we in, in, in this world are not deeply invested in you. In fact, we run from you. We rebel against you. We want to do things our way. We want to control our own lives. Father, we praise you. We thank you that you did not leave us to ourselves, but you came and sought us through the person of Jesus Christ. And we pray this morning that you would help us to reflect this week on what is our ultimate love, what things in this world compete for our ultimate love in you. Not that we would love those things less, but that we would love you more, Lord God. Help us to see the stories that shape our loves and to engage the one true story of your kingdom, your son, our savior, Jesus Christ, that our, li our lives and our loves would be transformed by that story and that through us, the world would be transformed more and more into your image. For we pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.